Um, I'm excited about what we're talking about today, though. Uh, just this whole topic of spiritual warfare, we're continuing on with this. Um, all right, so we, we are, uh, this, this whole uh, enemy here, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and today we're focusing in on the enemy. Uh, so we're going to, you know, it's going to sound like we're talking a lot about the devil today, but we need to know how he operates, and then we're done with him, and we're getting on with the armor next week, Okay. But we need to know this. And so uh, let me just pray for our time in the Word. Pray that God would use it for His glory, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity to gather together. Thank You that um, You are the Lord of this church. And uh, any elder here is just an under-shepherd uh, sitting under the feet of Jesus wanting to serve Your people. And Lord, we, just, we pray, Lord, for that uh, prayer walk today. Pray that it be glorifying to you. It would be uniting. I pray even just that it would be a declaration, uh, as we will learn a little bit about the to the heavenly realms today, that we're not going to have any of this stuff going on. This stuff that doesn't that doesn't please Jesus Christ amongst His churches. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work. You'd be glorified in that time today. Also, just pray for your blessing here as we get into your Word. We pray for healing for people in our church that are battling cancer and other illnesses, diseases. Lord, we pray that you would, by an act of your mercy and grace, touch them, Lord, that they would be healed. And also, Lord, just pray that you would be an encouragement uh, to those that are struggling today. Lord, that um, may be fighting all kinds of spiritual battles. Lord, let them see the schemes of the devil for what they are and let them know if they're a believer in Christ, they have everything they need for life and godliness, including these battles they may be facing. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, one of the traditions we have at our church is standing for the reading of the Word of God. And so if you're able to stand, would you stand as... I'm gonna, today I'm going to read the passage. Last week we read it all together. But today I just want you to listen with your ears to this passage, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Listen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the day in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Stand in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. Uh, it's critical that we understand those words that we just read, and that's why we're spending several weeks breaking it down, all right? Um, now, 
today we're really spending uh, time focusing on knowing the enemy's strategy and how that is critical to winning the battle that we face, spiritual battles. And as this particular passage lays out, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against human flesh. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. Uh, He's called the devil or Lucifer, right? Uh, And so he is um, a fallen angel. And if we were to go back and look in the Old Testament, we'd see he wanted to be like God. Pride was his issue. And that's what caused him to be cast out along with the other demons that fell with him. So this is real. We mentioned last week, this is not some archaic medieval idea. This is actual reality. And it's a reality we can't see. It's in the spiritual realm, right? Which makes it uh, difficult sometimes for us to keep in the forefront of our minds. But, but it's, it's nonetheless important that we need to understand his schemes now, or his strategies, you might say. When I was playing basketball in high school, which was just a few years ago, um, and if you believe that, then I've, you know, you're just, I've just sold you down the river, basically. Uh, back in the 1980-ish, yeah, it would have been, yeah, would have been, yeah, 80, 79, 80, somewhere in there. One of the things that, this is typical, every basketball team usually has someone who scouts out the competition, right? The Friday before, we usually play on a Friday night, the Friday before, somebody on the athletic staff uh, athletic department staff would go scout out the team we're going, to, we're going to play next week, find out what their strategies were, you know? Did they play mainly man-to-man? Did they play in like a 2-3 zone? Or did they have uh, a full court press that they usually put on the last few minutes of a half or whatever? Their strategies. And then during the week, we would spend uh, a lot of time not only practicing our own offense, but also how to defense what they usually like to play for offense. And so... Uh, you know, if you weren't a starter, what you were doing is you were playing the other team's offense, you know, uh, against your the starting team, the starting five. And so, but the whole point was we wanted to know what the strategies were so we could combat those, all right, and that and hopefully help us help us win games. I was I went I went on the athletic. This is I went on my this Miami East High School is the high school I'm from. Okay. Uh, and it's in Miami County here in Ohio. I went, they have athletic stats from the beginning of time. And I looked at the stats for the years that I played. Our team was so bad. It was like five and 17. I mean, I was like, I was like how did I even like survive that? It was so bad. But anyway, um, we, we probably need, we just, uh, I don't know, maybe we need better scouting, probably just better players. But but we, But it was interesting just to note that you know, as I, I think back over that time, how important it was to know the strategies. I mean, it all it plays out in every sport, right? Um, and so, it's 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 no less important when it comes to spiritual warfare. You have to know the enemy's strategies. If you don't, uh, then you'll be caught unaware. And uh, we have a real enemy, Satan, and he actually has strategies he uses. And I have six that I'm going to talk about today. I'm sure there's more. But these are the ones that came to mind in the scriptures that I wanted to show you. And then we'll have three things that we need to remember at the end as we, talk, as we kind of conclude. So we'll have six strategies of the enemy and then three things to remember. Well, the first strategy here is that, that Satan loves to use is he twists the truth. He twists the truth. He's the master liar and the master of deception. 
This goes all the way back to the garden. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, in the first five verses, listen to this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You see, the very first thing Satan comes out with here in the form of a servant, is he questions, uh, he questions even, he says, listen, does God really say he don't want you to eat any of the, uh, the fruit from the trees? And, 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 you know, that was almost like planting a seed of doubt, right? Because he didn't say they couldn't eat any of the fruit. He just said there was the fruit from that one particular tree, right? And then she did kind of come back with that. And then, and then, but listen to what Satan does next. He says, um, but the serpent said to the woman, you, sh- you will not surely die. If you, you know, if you eat of this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the, I mean, just the regular MO of the devil is to get us to doubt the goodness of God. He's all about that. If he can get you to think God doesn't have your best in mind, then you, you, then you will start not to care what the scripture says because it doesn't sound right to you because that's going to be difficult. That's going to be hard. That's going to be countercultural, whatever it might be, right? And so, and so what he loves to do is this to try to twist the truth, just like he did there with Adam and Eve. And so we have to really know the truth well to know if it's being twisted, don't we? If you don't know the truth, how are you going to know it's being twisted? And so certainly knowing the scriptures knowing what the Bible says, and understanding what it means. I mean, that's a whole other thing, right? Knowing what it says, but knowing what it means, right? And how to apply it to our lives, that's critical. That's where the hard work is. Um, and so, so knowing the truth is going to be critical to spotting a lie, right? So again, so much of our Christian life comes back to the intake of the Scriptures and taking it in. And, and really letting it affect our lives, not just getting the knowledge and winning like, you know, we used to call them Bible bowls, you know. It's great to know facts, but those facts need to have an impact, right? They really need to have an impact. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4 say, but I am afraid, Paul says, as the serpent deceived E by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so, you get that? He's saying like, basically, you know, all temptation comes down to this, comes down to this idea is that Satan wants to lead you astray. He wants to drag you away, right, uh, from the Lord Jesus and to following him with all your heart. When you look in James and it talks about temptation, it actually uses uh, language of like being led astray. This kind of like, I love to fish and I know there's a fisherman in our midst somewhere. There he is. Uh, and, and some of others, you might like to fish too. I just don't know it. And, um, you know, you got to have a lure on that, on that hook. You got to have something that the fish wants, right? Uh, whether it's a worm or an artificial bait, crankbait or something, right? Because what you want to do is you want to get not, you don't want the fish to see the hook. You want it to see what looks good to it, right? But once they bite on, mm, you know, there's a hook there waiting on them right? Now, temptation works the same way. 
is tries to get our focus off the Lord, whatever it might be, and it promises something, but there's a catch, right? That's the way it works. That's the way the enemy works. So in that is always a lie. Like the lure is a lie, right? The lure is a lie. I mean, Satan is cunning, man. He's not going to come out and say, you know, hey, if you cheat on your wife, you know, this, this, and this is going to happen, and uh, you could lose your family, you could get a disease, whatever. He doesn't say all that. Because if you did a cost-benefit analysis, you wouldn't do it. You hear me? So the thing is, is that Satan is cunning. You have to. You have to be aware that he is the great deceiver, right? And he wants to draw us away, like it says there in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, right? Verse 4 of that 2 Corinthians 11 says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you, you put up with it readily enough. So he had a lot of hard things to say to the Corinthian church. But one of the things we need to realize, part of the twisting of the truth is the twisting of the gospel, the distortion of the gospel message itself. We have to be careful you know, the Bible talks about uh, how people will sometimes infiltrate the church, right? And uh, like wolves in sheep clothing and enter into false teaching and people buy into it and then lead others off into a false gospel, okay? We have to guard the gospel. That's one of the big messages in the Timothy books, the first and second Timothy, guard the gospel. It's critical. But just realize Twisting the truth uh, is so much of what Satan does. It's just his nature now. When you look in John chapter 8, verse 44, the name that's used of him there just tells it like it is. It says, um, when Jesus is calling out some of the people there uh, for um, what's really going on in their hearts, he says, you are your father, you are of your father, the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, that's just who he is. If Satan's mouth is moving, he's lying, okay? That's just the way it is, okay? He is a liar and the father of lies. Very deceptive though, very cunning. It's not gonna come at you straight on like you'd be a... If you don't know the Word of God and are not solidly holding on to the promises of God and living the Christ-like life we've been called to, you'll be an easy target because some things will seem like, it seems like it ought to be that way, but it's not what the Word of God says. Isn't that what the Word says in Proverbs, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way is in the end of death, right? We cannot go by what seems right. We have to have an objective truth, and that's what the Scripture gives us. So, he twists the truth. Spent a lot of time on that one because that's a biggie. That's like number one, okay? Second strategy, he sows relational discord. He loves it when people are not united, especially in the church, you know, and, and within the family unit. He loves for that. To, he just loves to play games there, right? Take a look here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Now, remember, this passage on spiritual warfare is also in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, right? But earlier, especially around chapters 4 and 5, he starts talking about the family unit 
and the household structure and how that ought to operate and all that. So, so very practical things. This comes on the heels of that. He says, verse 25, Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, stop acting like you used to, lying and everything, right? He's saying, tell the truth to your neighbor, right? He says, for we are members of one another. And then he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what? Give no opportunity to the devil, right? So if we don't deal with our anger appropriately and in a timely fashion, it's going to fester and we give the enemy a foothold. It's like he's got a foot in the door, okay? And he has no right to be there in the life of a believer, but if we give him room, he'll walk right in, okay? That's, that's critical. We got to realize we, he has no place there in the life of a believer uh, to op- oppress them or to influence them, but if we give him ground, he'll take it. And one of the ways to give the devil an opportunity is to let these relationships blow up without us trying to give our full effort to try to bring resolution and, and healing to them if we can. He says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, being honest, work with his own hands and so on. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. So he talks about speech. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to this now. We're talking about relationships, right? We're talking about how Satan loves to mess them up and to, to, to get us to play his game. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All those things are relational, aren't they? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. They all have to do things we do to each other, right? Instead, verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, okay? Now, um, I, you know, we don't have time to unpack forgiveness and unforgiveness and all that. We, do, we need to forgive, but sometimes uh, just because you forgive doesn't mean there's total restoration is, is possible. Sometimes it's not. You can still forgive and there be not total restoration. Depends on the relationship, okay? I don't, I don't want anybody walking out here today thinking that, you know, you know, forgiveness always means that there's a restoration, okay? But I will say this. The Bible always calls us to be the initiator to try to resolve things, right? It says, the Bible says, but as much as depends upon you, you be at peace with one another. That's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter who did what or whatever. We should try to at least initiate uh, the healing of the wounds in the relationship. Now, what that other person does is up to them, right? It, it, it's always two. It takes two to, to reconcile and so on in a relationship. And so the other person has to be willing, right, to do what they need to do too. Uh, all you can do is what you can do, right? And what they do is up to them. But the biggies, I think, are just like when I look at this list, it's just the idea of anger that's not dealt with, bitterness that's not dealt with, unforgiveness. Those things fester and can cause all kinds of trouble. And those are basically areas where Satan gets a foothold and he starts taking, taking up some ground and, and then um, things just go south from there. So he sows relational discord. So just be aware, you know. And by the way, you know, I'm not one of these guys that, uh, these, these pastors that say, you know, they see a demon behind every door, okay? Uh, or that everything is the devil's problem, you know? Um, 
you can't say the devil made me do it every time, okay? Because you have your own will, okay? You have your own will, and we also live in a sinful world. Sometimes, yes, it is definitely the enemy. He's kitting us on all fronts, for sure. Sometimes it's our own stuff, our own sin. We got ourselves into that spot, and we're reaping the consequences. Sometimes the things that we encounter, we'll see here in a little bit, just happen to be because we live in a sinful world now, okay? All right, now, another thing, another strategy. He distracts with materialism. This is a big one, uh, especially here. Uh, you know, we're blessed, I think, really, here in this country. We're blessed in this way with a lot of material things. We have most everything we need just right, right down the street for the most part, okay? And so, um, it's easy to get materialistic. Uh, when I thought of this verse, uh, uh, or thought of this topic, I thought of this verse, 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Isn't that interesting? That the love of money would actually take somebody away from Jesus. We, we don't think about that, but it happens, right? Where the pursuit of just making more money or maybe haven't had a taste of it or just feel like that's going to be the solution to my problems or whatever. And probably almost everybody sitting in this room say they could probably use a little more money, okay? But that's not going to be the answer to everything, okay? That pursuit of that. And money itself is not the problem. It says the love of money. So we have to guard our hearts. And... Um, I don't know that I'm the originator of this thought, but I've, I, wherever I got it, I, there's truth here, is that the antidote to materialism is generosity. The antidote to materialism is, I mean, be a giver. Be generous with the stuff God has given in your charge. I mean, because that's the right view anyway. All the stuff that you have as a believer has been given to you by God, however much it is. Every material thing, every dollar in your account has been given to you by God. And we need to be good stewards with that and we need to look to see to bless other people. That is a way, that's like an antidote to materialism. Instead of just accumulating, 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 why not think about ways to bless others that God maybe puts in your path, okay? Um, I, I thought about this uh, earlier, and that was that, uh, this has been years ago, so, uh, a couple that Lynn and I knew, we went out, they, were, they asked us to go out to lunch with them. It's not anybody in our church. And uh, they said, hey, you know, this time, I think, I don't know if it was around Thanksgiving or Christmas time, or whatever, but they said, hey, every year we save up some money and we pray about who God wants us to give it to. And you're it this year. I was like, well, praise God, you know, <laughs> that was, it was, it was, but it was just, it was very humbling actually to be on the receiving end of that. But you know what? If you could have seen their faces when they're giving it, it was beaming more than mine. And they were just, they were like being a conduit. And I just look at that example of those people and just knowing that they were just, just generous. They're just generous with what God's blessed them with and God put it on their heart to do that thing every year. I thought that was so cool. And I think, you know, whether it's that or just other things, just spontaneous things that the Lord may lead you to do, be a giver, be generous, um, be a conduit for the blessing of God to work through the stuff he's given you. And I think that's an antidote antidote to help us guard against the love of money or materialism. Now, a fourth strategy. This might seem a little strange to you, uh, maybe because you're not in the mission field, 
Um, and I really haven't been either. I mean, we've done short-term mission trips, but I've not been out there any length of time. Probably Amber should be talking about this. She spent a whole, how many months was it? 11 months each time you did that, yeah, uh, on the world race. And so, um, but when you look in First Thessalonians, we will see that Satan tries to thwart the plans of missionaries. Take a look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 2, 17 and 18 says, but since we were torn away from you, so this is the apostle Paul talking to the Thessalonian church. Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. So, you know, he, you know, you got to know that Paul on one of his missionary journeys, right, helps start a bunch of churches, right? And this church at Thessalonica was one of these churches he was kind of responsible for. And so he's saying, listen, we, uh, we got torn away from you physically. We, 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 had, we had to go away. And uh, we want to see you face to face. That's our desire. But then in verse 18, it says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. And then it says, but Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered. He's, you know, he's, Satan is hindering the missionary work that Paul's trying to do. He wants to get back there and fortify that church. He didn't want to just start things. He wanted to go also go back around and fortify the works that God had started there. And so this should, you know, if you're not a missionary yourself, this should inform your prayer life for missionaries. Some of you guys get emails from Mike and Sue Cater who have spoken here before. They're missionaries. Um, or maybe you have other um, people that you, that you have contact with who are missionaries abroad spreading the gospel across the world. You need to realize uh, they need your prayer support. They probably need your financial support too. They also need your prayer support because there is a spiritual battle going out there. Satan doesn't want people to hear the gospel. Uh, He wants them to be, um, in a sense, uh, spiritually enslaved. He wants them not to hear the good news that would be freeing for their lives and experience the grace of God, okay? So let that inform your prayer life. All right, the fifth thing, the fifth, strategy here that comes to my mind when I think about this. Um, We don't always think about this, but uh, he causes some sickness and disease. He causes some sickness and disease. There are scriptural examples that tell us that there are some times when someone is sick or afflicted, it's because of what Satan is doing, okay? And we'll see that that's not always the case, though. But just bear with me. Let me give you two examples when it mentions this. Luke chapter 13, verse 16. Right before this verse, we get to this verse, Jesus has healed a woman. She had, he heals this woman who has an affliction. And then here's what Jesus says. It says, and ought, well, by the way, he did this on the Sabbath, right? Which, you know, if you're, if you're one of those legalistic Pharisee uh, people, uh, you know, that healing stuff, that's looking a little bit too much like work, and we can't be working on the Sabbath and helping people out, you know? You, I mean, we, we see how ludicrous that is now, but these guys were just, you know, just legalistic as, as it gets, all right? And they were calling Jesus out for healing this woman. And he says, verse 16, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, listen, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Satan somehow was afflicting this woman's life. And it says, he, he describes it as had her in these bonds 
she needed set free. Okay? <clears throat> we can't forget this. You know, when we're, so much of these schemes kind of come back to like they should inform our prayer life. Okay? I mean, we don't know whether any particular affliction, we don't know what the cause is. I mean, we don't typically have x-ray, x-ray like spiritual x-ray vision. Unless God were to happen to give us some unique insight to a situation, okay, we, we don't typically have that unless he does. And if we don't, then we really, I'd say, you know, kind of like get the spiritual prayer scatter gun, you know, just, just, hey, let it all fly, you know, it'll hit something. You know, so, so if I don't know if such a set affliction is, is, is some kind of satanic attack, then pray against it if it is by the authority of Christ, okay? Um, was it Peter? Or, I'm not going to get this right. It says the Lord rebuke you, right? So I, I think when we pray over things like that, we have to pray the Lord rebuke you if that's what's going on, okay? But that's a little minor thing. But I'm just saying this. We need to realize this, that this should be part of our prayer lives. And I think a lot of times it's not because it's not on our radar, we're not thinking that way. Now, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, how God, um, how God anointed Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit, and with power, he went, so he's talking about Jesus, with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, so he was healing those who were oppressed by the devil. So, we, again, just another verse to point us to the fact that some afflictions, some sicknesses, some diseases are demonic in their origins, okay? So, you know, what we believe should be grounded in Scripture, right? It couldn't be just because I say so, because I don't know anything apart from this, okay? Uh, or it should have no authority in your life unless it comes from here. That's what I'm saying. Um, and then... But know this, not all sickness is from Satan's attacks. We shouldn't get caught in that either, okay? Um, John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus answered his disciples when they were wondering, hey, is this person sick because they sinned or because their parents sinned? Thinking that it, must, you know, it had to come from their sin. That's why they're sick, Okay. Um, Jesus answered and said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, there was a purpose here. In this case, the person was healed, okay? And we know that God doesn't heal in every situation, right? We wish, you know, our heart's desire is that, that they would be healed. Our, our, our friends, our loves them would be healed if they're sick, right? But we know because we live in a sin-sick world that just some of the ramifications of sin are, can we say cosmic? <laughs> Affects even the cells probably in our body, right? So even when you read like the book of Romans and you see that all creation is groaning and wants things to be back the way they were when at the beginning, I mean, that, that gives us some insight here in that everything has changed, man. When sin entered the world, everything changed, right? And and our health is affected just by being in the very environment that we live in because it's sin-filled world. Sin has affected everything, okay? And so we see here, we just get glimpses of this that, you know, uh, again, let your prayer life be informed by this. 
We should pray for healing for people. We should pray, Lord, if this, is, if this is due to demonic activity, Lord, would you cast it out by your power, by your spirit? Would you set them free, right? Uh, you know, and, and I know other places in Scripture where people, believers, got sick because they were living in sin and they died, okay? That's scary stuff, that their sickness came from their sin. Okay, now, I don't, if it's your first time today, you might think I'm a wacko because this is like really kind of like stuff you can't see, right? But I'm just saying, we got to take it all or take none of it, okay? Because I, you know, I, I can't do my cut and paste Christianity. It doesn't work, okay? Because <laughs> you don't know, well, what should I be cutting and what should I be pasting? There's really more cutting. I guess if you're pasting, you're putting new in. But anyway, you get the idea. We're not ignoring the tough stuff. We have to realize, you know, if we ignored this, there would be people who wouldn't be healed, right? This side of heaven. If we ignored this kind of stuff, you know, if we, we got to be able to realize that there are, we have a real enemy here as believers. And he's really trying to make it so we can't live the life that we've been called to live. All right, the last one here. The last strategy is this that Satan loves to, he prevents others from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus. He's, he blinds people. He blinds them. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. In their case, the God, G, uh, small g, the God of this world, which is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them, listen, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, the enemy Satan, he's trying to get people to not believe in Jesus, or maybe not, maybe they'll believe in him, but they don't see him as glorious. They don't see the gospel of Jesus as something that's attractive or what they want. And I was thinking back to, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church and they they shared the true gospel of Jesus, right? That, that I'm a sinner and I need, uh, Jesus came to die on the cross for me. And by grace, if I will put my faith in him, he'll, he'll save me and cleanse me and forgive me of all my past, present, future sins, all of that. I was taught all that. And I could even answer some Bible quiz questions on it, you know, but, but what did not connect was right here in my heart. I didn't see the gospel of Jesus as glorious and as desirous for myself, like that I needed it. And I didn't, it wasn't like I was vehemently against it, but I wasn't for it, okay? And there's no fence sitting with this. You either believe or you don't, okay? And so for years, I did not believe, really. Um, I, I knew the information and I believed some of the information, but it was not glorious to me. I was blinded. But then, in 1982 then, when someone else shared the same message in a similar way, my heart was ready, and the scales fell off, so to speak, of my eyes, and I could see Jesus for who he really was, the glorious Savior who loved me and died for me and would do anything that I might have a relationship with the living God. And it was, it was glorious to me. It was I wanted that. And it was like, uh, 
as I was telling the first service, you know, we, Linda and I have been growing some strawberries in, in, in a container. And, uh, and there's, uh, you just don't want to pick those berries before they're ready. You know, eating one of those green ones is no good, okay? You got to wait till it's nice and red, right, Walter? Yeah, so you want to do that. So I was, you know, earlier in my life, before my would-be brother-in-law shared Christ with me, I was not ready. I was green. I wasn't ready. If you had forced it on me, I would have said, Nick, good for you, but not for me. You know, that's a common thing. It's true regardless of I think it's good for me or not, okay? (laughs) True is true. But when the Holy Spirit starts working and scales start falling off and we can now, you know, God opens blind blind eyes. The Holy Spirit opens blind eyes. And when the eyes were opened of my heart, then I was ready. And it's like my brother-in-law was there. And if you would have tapped me, if I was like fruit, I would just fell right off the tree. You know, you could have said Mary had a little lamb and I would have gotten saved because I was ready. Right? I mean, really. Um, and, and, you know, we, we just have to realize this. You know, when you, when you, the Lord lays somebody in your heart to share the Christ with and to, to love them with the love of Christ and hopefully share the gospel of Jesus with them, you start praying for them because, you know, there is a battle going on for their soul and for their heart. Pray that their eyes, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, like it says in the scriptures. Okay? You can't, I don't care if you have the perfect arguments down. I don't care if you know all the wonderful apologetics, which is great to know and how to defend your faith, and you're ready for every answer. You could have every perfect answer But if their heart's not ready, it's not happening. The spiritual battle has to be fought through prayer, okay? All right. Um, I mentioned there's a parable of the sower there, Mark 4, 15. But you should look that up. You should read that. That parable, I think, really is about gospel seed. It says the word of God, but I think in the context, really is, in my opinion, gospel seed being scattered. And what happens is some of that seed, it says... In verse 15 of Mark 4, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them and he snatches it up. And so again, let this inform your prayer life for people that might be far from God or when you're not sure where they are. You pray, Lord, as I get opportunity to spread gospel seeds in their life, Lord, let not the enemy snatch them up. Let them take root in their heart. That's what we need to pray. All right, we got to bring the plane down here. Uh, three things to remember, because, you know, when you start talking about all these strategies, I thought, you know, sometimes it could be overwhelming. Like, man, the enemy's got like all this arsenal, these strategies that could be like, feeling like, you know, could I ever win this battle? Yes, you can. Yes, you can, for sure. Uh, and there's some things I just want us to remember here. The first one has to do with the message last week, which I'm not going to give again, because we don't have another 30 minutes, okay? But, Uh, The idea, the big idea last week was dependence on God for our spiritual battle. Uh, Dependence on God for our spiritual strength for this battle is critical. The very first verse, verse in this section says what? Finally, be strong what? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, right? So we cannot think that we could ever fight and win these spiritual battles on our own strength. 
We got to remember that. Always remember that. We have to lean into God and rely upon him for the spiritual strength, right? So that's just a reminder. Second thing, uh, resist the devil by submitting to God. Romans, excuse me, James chapter 4, 6 through 8 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think there's a direct link there. I think, how do I, one of the ways I resist the devil is by submitting to God. So, what does it mean to submit to God? It means kind of put my life under his leadership. Whatever he says goes. He says, this is right, it's right. He says, this is wrong, it's wrong. He says, go this way, I go that way. That's what a life of submission to God is about. And every Christ follower ought to, you know, basically what you're saying when you receive Christ as Savior, you're saying, my life is under new management now. Greg Berlisle is no longer in the driver's seat. Jesus Christ is. I'm along for the ride. We go where he says. We drive how we say he drives. Whatever it is, that's a life of submission to God. And so we resist the devil by submitting to God. It's when we think we want to go, when we're going to go our way and not God's way, and we compromise that we then uh, are not resisting the devil and we give him a foothold. We give him an opportunity, right? And then, and by the way, that verse 8 is great. I just love that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's just saying, listen, you know, part of this aspect of submitting and, uh, and, and resisting the devil is drawing near to God. Spend time with Jesus in the Word, in prayer, with other believers. Last thing to remember. We've got to remember this. Our enemy's power is limited and his future is certain. Okay? Uh, great verses here, 1 John 4, 3 and 4. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Stop right there because, you know, every cult that ever was and is, it all, it's all about, it comes down to Jesus. Don't worry about all these other weird things. Just get down to who Jesus is first, all right? He is God come in the flesh, right? He, he died and rose again. He's not a created being, right? He has been and always will be. All these key important aspects of Jesus, okay? That's why... Um, John here is saying, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, okay? So if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, they're not from God. They might be deceived into thinking they are because the Jesus they're proclaiming is a created being. They say he's, he's a created being. That's a pro- I got a problem with it. The Bible has a problem with it. They wrote their own version of the Bible to kind of hide that. They changed it. John 1. Okay? I'm not bashing people. I'm telling truth. Okay? This is critical. It's, you know, comes down to who Jesus is. Right? And that's not even what I was going to talk about. But anyway, this is the spirit. It says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard from the beginning, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4 is what I was getting at here. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you meaning the Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, meaning the devil. He who is in you, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is greater than he is in the world. He's got nothing on you unless you give him the ground. Okay? That's the way it is. 
And so, and then I just love this too. It's good to look ahead. You know, you know who's going to, you know where Satan's ultimate destiny is. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that's the end of him. That's where he's going. Okay. Right now, like we said, we're, we mentioned last week, we're in the mop-up phase. The big blow was dealt at, the, at Calvary, at the cross, when Jesus died and rose again. Boom, death blow to Satan. Now he's just trying to hang on for dear life until the end. Okay? That's where we are. We can't, re- we can't forget these things because it can be overwhelming when you start thinking about uh, the devil and his, um, the demonic realm and so on. We have nothing to fear uh, if we are armored up and if we are leaning into the Lord, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have have made a way for us to be made right with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that glorious gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you open blind eyes, that as believers, we simply have to deliver those gospel seeds, so to speak, the message. And Lord, help us, Father, to be aware of the schemes of the devil so that we might be more informed in our prayer lives and we might be able to be uh, uh, knowing what we need our armor on for. Because it says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we, we need the armor so we can stand against the schemes. Lord, thank you that your word gives us a glimpse into some of the schemes. Lord, help us to sniff out twisted truth. Lord, give us grace to walk in victory. And thank you, Lord, for when we we falter, when we fail, it's the blood of Christ that cleanses from all unrighteousness, Lord. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and stand up. We have a couple more songs to sing here before we're done. All right. Yeah, so let's just sing about... um just this God that's giving us this strength, that's giving us this power to fight these spiritual battles. So let's just think about how great and how awesome he is. <clears throat>